0: hello welcome back to sextras where we talk about sex and all the extras i'm honey and i'm maria and welcome back to our pleasure and desire mini series yeah psych we lied about not being in the studio anymore maria (laughs) came back for the weekend so we're doing a little impromptu recording session in the studio which is nice
1: yeah i thought we'd take advantage
0: yeah And we are joined by a lovely guest today. Her name is Keely Rankin and she is a sex therapist and coach. She specializes in male sexual dysfunction and we're going to talk to her all about kind of how to communicate what gives you pleasure to a partner and Mm. like figuring out what gives you pleasure we've kind of talked about this quite a few times before when we were like planning what we wanted the next episode of the mini series to be we were like okay we've we feel like we've talked about our own experiences Mm. (laughs) like our own problems not being able to communicate things but we're like we we haven't made the change we're not the change we want to see anymore (laughs) we're not doing it so, yeah, we were like, we should probably get some advice from someone who, like, actually knows mm. and is actually qualified to give this advice. So, yeah, Keeley did that, basically. Yeah, she,
1: does, she gives us some good tips. So, I hope you guys enjoy the
0: episode. Yeah. And also, if you want to watch the episode, you can go to our Patreon and watch the full video and you'll also be able to see Keeley as well. So, if you're into that you can join our little community and get a free sticker get some bonus content all of that lovely stuff so yeah let's get into it thank you so much for joining us and we wanted to kind of talk to you a little bit about how to communicate pleasure to a partner as we were saying we don't have concrete advice. We just kind of have our own experiences to go off, complain about. But that's our not family entirely. Helpful. Been communicating really Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it would be good to get some advice from someone who's obviously seen a lot of people's problems around sex and what they struggle to communicate and get real advice that people can implement in their lives.
1: Yeah. Could you talk to us like a little bit about what you do? Um, how you got into it? I guess just like a short little summary of.
2: Yes. Um... So um, I work as a sex and relationship coach out of San Francisco in the USA, and I the way I normally talk about it is that I I specialize in pleasure and helping people connect with their pleasure, so that moves all the way from you know traumatic experiences and moving past those blocks barricades um, things that get in the way of us being able to find pleasure all the way into people who feel like they're having great sex but they have a sense that it could be better and finding ways to deepen into that experience. So I, met, I work with men, women and couples. I actually also specialize in male performance struggles so I have a lot of experience around the male side of what's going on in a hetero, primarily heterosexual dynamic.
0: Okay. And what what kind of interested you about the area? Like how did you kind of think, oh I want to get into
2: sex therapy? <laughs> um you know i honestly try and answer that question a little bit different every time kind of like a fresh like how did i get here today um (laughs) you know i grew up riding horses professionally and when i stopped riding um because i wanted sort of a i sort of lost the love for it once i got at the the much deeper doing it every day seven days a week level um, but I knew the next thing I wanted to do needed to be something I felt really passionate about because I had been passion-driven primarily uh, my whole life. And as I went through like looking at other options for a career, the only book that I could really stay awake reading were books about sex. So I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm doing something in the sex field. And I w- went and took this really crazy, wild, fun Uh, radical training, it's called sexological bodywork, which is a hands-on moving people through uh, finding their pleasure, basically, and was like, okay, that was really fun, but I think I need a lot of tools, so I went back to school, got my master's, did a bunch of other trainings, um, and now 12 years later, I find myself still completely mystified and wrapped up in human pleasure, communication, intimacy. You know, I think the most interesting thing about the field, um, actually, um, I have a couple of uh, other coaches that work with me now that are under my supervision, and we talk about it a lot. It's like, you never reach the end of the things you need to know. I mean, it is an endless space of more information, new information. All of us are so incredibly unique. So even the information that your listeners have heard on here or will hear today, you know, everyone is so different and so we sort of like we cherry pick from other people and think that it might work for us and it maybe work for us this one year or in our early 20s but it won't work for us in our 30s so it's just a fascinating wonderful field I believe so I feel lucky to be in it.
0: Yeah I mean we obviously agree (laughs) we love talking about sex and (laughs) learning about people's sex lives gives you such a kind of innate like intimate understanding of who they are as a person and what kind of makes us all tick, in a way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's really interesting. Mm. What's kind of the main things that... I mean, I guess there's so many issues that come up around sex with people, but what are some of, like, the most common recurring ones that you see?
2: You know, I think that a lot of people sell themselves short when it comes to pleasure. I think it's sort of like if I'm having an orgasm or if we're having frequent enough sex, then it's it's kind of like good enough or you know we're getting it right. And I think people get really caught in sort of like trying to check off the boxes for whether or not they're like exploring sexuality in the right way. I think that's one of the places where I really help clients sort of learn how to listen to their own bodies fully and which we're talking about today communicate that to another partner and there's nonverbal communication there's verbal communication there's the timing of communication how when what do we say what does that look like all the different pieces to that but i think ultimately like when i look back on my 12 years of practice with people and i think about the journey that people go on i think ultimately it's a it's a decision to turn towards their own pleasure we could talk about that as self care we could talk about it as spirituality i mean there's a lot of different ways we can talk about pleasure But I think that, you know, um, obviously clients are in my office because they believe they want more, but sometimes they show up for different reasons. You know, couples show up for various different reasons, early ejaculators or men struggling with um, ejaculation control stuff show up for different reasons. But I think that's sort of like maybe the bigger piece that I would say.
0: Mm. And Do you think the problems come from like the actual issues with sex themselves? I know you you specialize in like sexual dysfunctions, that kind of thing. But, or is it about the way we talk about sex?
2: It's holistic. It is all of the above. I think it's societal, it's the way we're raised, it's the family we're raised in, it's religion, it's what our friends are saying. Um, you know, I, I think there's no one way to say like, oh, it's just this, this one thing. I think it's so complex. And, you know, one of the things that can happen for clients who grow up in homes where they saw their parents really value work or value like hard work. Like we go to work all day and we do our work and we come home and we do all the chores and they don't actually witness their parent indulging or enjoying or taking a bath. I mean, little things, not actually like sex related stuff, just pleasure related things, Mm -hmm. enjoying their food, sitting and relaxing. That can also really lend itself and a lot of people don't think about that it's like the environment that the child is actually moving through the world in are they witnessing people taking time for their pleasure and i think that actually has a really really big impact that doesn't often get you know talked enough about Mm. especially from a parenting perspective or from just trying to understand your own disconnection from pleasure or why you think it's not important or the way you're sort of thinking about it yeah Yeah,
1: that's very true i'd never thought about like just the ways that you like let yourself experience pleasure like just throughout the day and throughout life not just in like the when we think about pleasure like just like sex (laughs) straight away but yeah do you I mean because I guess it's like a two-step process it's like finding out what like gives you pleasure and then being able to communicate that what do you think like people struggle most in or is it sort of like tying the two together like what what's the disconnect there
2: or you know I think what's true more often than not and I I this comes up a lot in my couples work is that a lot of people don't actually know what is pleasurable for them and I think there can be this belief in in a partnership where you're like, your par- my partner's just not telling me what their fantasies are. They're just not telling me what they like. They won't say what they like. I want them to tell me. I think what's more true is honestly people don't know. And they feel like you get to a certain age or you've dated enough or you've been like they just should magically know or have known it by now. I hear that a lot. Like I should just know this by now. I'm in my 30s and I've had so many boyfriends or I'm married or and I think what's really true is that we because of the box that sex gets put in and the way I don't have a problem with porn, but I think it does create some issues around people exploring their pleasure in some regards. In others, it does not. But in some places, it can make people feel like it has to look like porn looks, mainstream porn specifically. And when we apply that to everyone's body, it typically doesn't work because it's this one specific type of sex. Um, There's a woman, her name is Miss Jaya, and she created the Erotic Blueprints, and they're sort of taking off here in the US. She just had a, a Netflix series come out, and I think she's in Goop too.
0: Oh, yeah, oh, yeah she, she was wearing.
2: Yeah. yeah. And she does an amazing job actually talking about or or she has done this incredible job of creating different ways of thinking about pleasure and the different areas and sort of like landscapes, blueprints that people are in. And I think that's really, really helpful in allowing folks to figure out like what are they into in a way that is separate from porn. You know, and like one of the blueprints I think about a lot is it's called the energetic blueprint, which is people who really like eye contact and they really like energy flowing. So you don't even have to have physical touch. It can just be kind of like getting towards and pulling away. And they often maybe will like like light feathers or not knowing when contact is coming or not coming, but they have really specific things that that are turnoffs for them. Going directly towards genital touch or anything happening too quickly can actually send them the opposite way. And so I think sometimes what happens with people is because we don't talk about pleasure enough or the types of pleasure or the ways that pleasure can look and we say, oh, it has to look like this, this specific thing, people sort of Aren't curious enough or don't have the space to be curious enough to find out what actually works for them. And then that second part is like, once I think you figure out what you like, it's often easier to communicate if you have the language. But sometimes mm-hmm. people can intuitively feel what they like, but they don't quite have the language. So then the communication gets a little complicated.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. yeah. Do you think people are intimidated by, like, all the options there are for ways to experience pleasure? Do you think they kind of are aware of, as you are saying, the different blueprints, like, energetic, or I can't remember what the other categories are? Mm-hmm. Or do you think that they just, like, they don't know at all?
2: No, I think what you're saying is like, is it that people get, is it like they get overwhelmed maybe or they're.
0: Mm, yeah. Do they get overwhelmed? Cause it's hard to kind of go from like zero to something, you know?
2: <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I think that's probably a personality type, right? Like the way we lean into learning new things or not, you know, does it doesn't mm. feel like, oh, this is fun and I'm curious and I want to explore and I can't wait to see what's on the other side. Or is it. I should have already had this figured out. Learning is a little scary because I've got to get it right and it has to be perfect. And I think with sex, a lot of people, specifically in the U.S. too, really come from this like work, 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 perfectionism, get it right. And what's true about sex is there is no getting it right. Like an orgasm isn't even getting it right. I mean, there's... An orgasm can happen. It doesn't necessarily mean you got it right because there is no right. The, The question of... What is pleasurable in a long-term, sustainable way within your body where you're communicating and moving through ups and downs and feeling close to whomever you're choosing to have sex with, whether that's just a one-night stand closeness or that's a long-term partnership, it's really this question of like, what is it looking like in the landscape, not necessarily focusing like on one thing the orgasm or something like that so i think it can definitely be tricky and probably very overwhelming to not know where to start from and how to start for Mm -hmm. sure i think that could definitely be an experience for many people
1: so what are some ways that some people can sort of like start finding out what they actually find pleasurable and
2: yeah you know when i talk about um people learning pleasure in their bodies. I normally map it onto, um, I make a big circle and I divide it into thirds. And so there's three parts. One part is erotic embodiment or physical sensation. So it's how is touch feeling in your body, the types of touch that you like, the sensations that you want to experience. Another section is relationships or intimacy. So it's who and how are you connecting with your heart? So it's that place of when I think people typically think of sex, they're like, oh, I love that person, so I have sex with them. That's that category that people typically go to. It's a how are we open to in our experience of letting someone close to us. And then there's another category, which is fantasy or um, anticipation creativity. And that's sort of the space of how are we allowing ourselves to think about things that are sexy that turn us on. So we think when we talk about pleasure we have to look at all three of those and see sort of like where are we heavily leaning into what's an easy space for us where do we naturally go and then what are the other two places that we want to explore a little bit the sensation stuff really comes down to i believe being curious about different types of touch and you know it depends when i work with clients whether or not i'll give them specific things to try it sort of depends where we're starting from, but a lot of times I think it's really like saying, take 20 or 30 minutes and just explore different experiences within your body, whether that's moving your body or touching your body and different types of touching. But what's true is like if if people just hand you over like a list of things to do, sure, you can run through those and see what's pleasurable, but ultimately what we want to create is a level of curiosity within yourself to follow what is actually interesting and know how to move into and out of pleasure when it comes to sensation. And then that top category, which is that fantasy category, or the the third one I was drawn on the top of my circle, is fantasy is a really, really interesting space to explore in terms of how people allow themselves to stay sexually excited for a a long-term like in a long-term relationship. You actually need quite a bit of fantasy, I believe. Because if you think about when you first meet someone and you're in new relationship energy, there is so much excitement there, but you are totally in fantasy about that person. I mean, you don't really know anything about them. You're imagining all these different things. You maybe even haven't seen their body yet, but you're imagining what it would be like and you really created so much anticipation. The first date, the first couple of dates, are we gonna go home together? What's it gonna be like to kiss this person? There is full of anticipation, which creates a lot of erotic energy, a lot of interest. You spend time shaving or whatever you do to get ready for your date and you pick the date and you ask the person a week before if they wanna go and there's texting and you're telling your friends, right? There's so much energy that actually goes into that. And so when I think about the fantasy category, that is the sort of same energy that we're trying to tap into. And in the realm of fantasy, if you cut a circle in half, so we have like a a bottom line for listeners who aren't um, able to watch us in person, if you imagine to the left is things you want to do before you die, and to the right is things you never want to do, you have no interest in exploring it, there is a whole array of fantasies in between that are sort of like, maybe I want to do it. I'm not really sure. And I think that's where the communication actually gets more complicated. So communicating touch, types of touch, I think that is a little bit easier. Like if we go back to the other category of sensation, I like my hair pulled. I like light feather touch. I think that is often... A slightly less vulnerable type of communication, although very important to get the touches that we want. But when we start to communicate around the fantasies that live inside of our brain that are only ours, that's, I believe, where people start to feel very shameful or scared or worried. What's my partner going to think that I want to be dressed like a baby or I want to be, you know, there's also, there's a whole range of things that people are sexually interested in that may only take to a BDSM club or may only take to a professional sex worker that never get to enter into their relationship. And when I think about like complicated ways of communicating, I know we're maybe veering away from the average person, but when I think about the complicated ways of communicating, those are the places where it gets a little bit tricky because you have to decide, is it safe in this relationship to share this fantasy? Is my partner gonna shame me? Is this an okay place for me? And there's an, a level of assessing that, I believe, in learning to communicate that everybody has to make.
0: Hmm. So, how much of like figuring out what you personally enjoy comes from yourself, and how much of it comes from a partner, or at least in your experience of like listening to people's experiences, how much of it is from each?
2: I think there's some some coaches, therapists who might say like, you need to figure it out all on your own. I, you know, I think both are valuable. The type in my experience, every new relationship is going to create new energy. That's going to open up new territory for you and close off potentially old territory. So maybe you had a partner that you loved light touch with, you loved gentle stroking, you liked long, long buildups, and then you meet a new partner. And all you want to do is kind of pull hair and choke and bite each other. I mean, people's energy impacts us in different ways. So it comes down to, can we have that curiosity about ourselves? Can we have that curiosity about our partners, about our relationship and keep exploring what feels good and let go of what we're supposed to want and move into what what is here in this moment. And that's, I think what we're sort of building up to is like, how do we start to talk about that? And I think, the first place that I normally recommend with people, especially if I'm working with them individually and they have a, um, an already existing partnership that they're not bringing in to do couples work is like, we don't want to talk about this, especially if we've never talked about it in the moment. So it's not like we're, <laughs> we've been together for two years and suddenly you're about to go down on me and I'm like, Hey, let's talk about this thing. It's this really not a great time, not because we don't want to talk about it, but people tend to feel a little more vulnerable in the moments that they're starting to explore, like physically moving into erotic spaces. And so if it hasn't been something that's existed in your couple till right now, we would want it to be something that's introduced outside of the dynamic of a highly pressured or a dynamic that could essentially could, could trigger that person. So I think of it as like, what is, what is, fair in terms of bringing it up so it would be something like it would be outside of being in sex and be like hey I listened to this podcast the other day and there were these really interesting topics about sex I wonder when a good time this week would be for us to sit down and talk about it that's sort of best case scenario especially for a couple who maybe hasn't talked about sex a lot or feels like their partner may need some time to prepare because what's true is there are people where like us ladies, it's easy to talk about sex, but for a lot of people, it's really, really scary and it's really, really hard and they need some time to prepare for the conversation. And that's okay. It doesn't mean that they'll never get to a place where it's comfortable. It just means that right now that's where they are. And mm-hmm. so that's where we're starting from. And so we don't ever want to push anybody into a place that they're not ready to go because that just makes them put up more walls and feel more defended and more scared. So it's like, hey, can we talk about this? Like, And you could even send this podcast or anything else that you've read or listened to Could you check this out? I'd love to discuss this. One of the things that I often say to people is when we start to have these conversations, I have a, this is like just a personal pet peeve. It's like, we don't go into them saying, Oh, Hey, so I've been learning all about fantasies. Tell me your fantasies because it takes all of the vulnerability off of you. And it puts everything on your partner who knew nothing about any of this happening. We say, hey, I've been learning a lot about fantasies. I've been thinking about mine. I'd love to know what yours are as you think about them. Do you feel ready or comfortable or interested in hearing about some of mine? And you go first as the person bringing it up. Mm. You take the first steps to say, I've been thinking about this and I've been interested in this and have you ever thought about this or would you ever want to try this? And again, everybody's starting from a very, very different place. So it may be like, hey, how do you feel about threesomes? Or it may be like, hey, how do you feel about having sex in the shower? Like there's so many variations of where couples are starting from, the type of communication that we're, the levels of communication that we're talking about. But I think the one of the biggest, most important parts is being vulnerable first and showing your partner that that is an okay place to be. And then... After that happens, not expecting anything back from them potentially for a while. So it means you share what your fantasies are and they do what they do with it. We hope that they say, Thank you for telling me. That's really interesting to know. And they ask more questions about it. But if they don't, we just have to hold that this is where they're at, they're learning. And over time, you can start to create that dynamic where, Hey, it'd feel really great when I told you these things if you just, even if you're not interested, you said, Thanks for sharing or something like that. Mm. But eventually, depending on the partner's response, we may have to say like, Hey, I'd really love to know about some of yours when you're ready. Some people will share right back and other people will feel like, Oh, I'm not ready yet. I don't feel comfortable, Mm. or I'm not sure if this is a safe space, or I think you might judge me, or I don't, you know, I've never told anyone this, so I don't know what you'll do with the information. And so that's sort of like where we start the process from. And then we just go from there and see what happens basically.
0: Mm. Mm. I think what people are like most worried about or maybe this is just me (laughs) when expressing what gives them pleasure is like the other person being kind of completely closed off to the idea or disgusted in the worst instances I guess. Is there any way that you can be sexually incompatible or is it for everyone a process that one day you will reach it? a good place of communicating.
2: People are definitely sexually incompatible. There is no doubt about that. Mm. And that's a really, really tough thing when people want completely different experiences in the bedroom and navigating around that and figuring out how to move through that can be complex. And sometimes it can mean that that couple outsources sex, that they're not having sex with, they're staying committed in the relationship, um, you know, physically there, emotionally there, um, but sexually they may be, um, having sex outside of that relationship because they can't get their needs met. The disgust response is a really, really interesting one. And I think, you know, it could be interesting for you to look back in your history and see where maybe someone showed disgust or disdain or shamed you for just basic pleasures. Even if it just goes back to like, I want cereal in the morning. And someone was like, cereal's gross or something like that. Mm. In a healthy dynamic, couples hold their own reaction to someone sharing about something that they are not interested in, and it's more like, wow, thank you for telling me. That's really interesting. I'll have to think about how I feel about that, or wow, I feel really scared, or I feel worried you're going to want me to do that, or I'm not sure if I'd feel comfortable with that. So. There's language that gets created after we hold space. And I think one of the things that's really important with communicating is just because we're asking for it, it doesn't mean our partner has to give it, number one. So just because your partner asks you for something doesn't mean you have to give it. This is about pleasure, so it's about doing what you want. And hopefully you have these conversations prior to making a decision about long-term commitment with somebody, because it does get more complicated when we hold these things in, and then we get married, and a couple years into marriage and kids and complicatedness, we go suddenly, I want this thing, and our partner is like, whoa, no way, that freaks me out, I could never give that to you, that is a complicated space. So I normally encourage people who are dating, it's like get to know this person, slowly let them know the things that you're interested in. It doesn't have to be all at once. It doesn't have to be the scariest thing at first. It's a process of building the relationship and assessing if this is the right person to go fully down that space with. And getting to that though, I would say within the first two years to assess whether or not that person can meet you sexually. You know, and that depends on each person's, you know, needs. Like I've worked with, with, with clients who have like really strong fetish stuff going on that they have had their whole lives, but they're in their forties or fifties or something, you know, later in life and middle life, sorry, everyone out there, not later in life, but like they've been sexual for a while (laughs) and they haven't shared in many, many relationships and it's tricky because sometimes that stuff, there's a weird way in which it staying secret is actually more fun than sharing it. And so I think everyone has to make some decisions around that too, of like, is some of this stuff, is it so scary to share that you're keeping it private because you don't want to be shamed or some, someone else to be disgusted? Or is it that you actually want to keep something private? Esther Perel, who's the amazing sex therapist in New York City, she talks about a secret garden, and that some people like to have a secret garden, and when you take that away from them, something about their sexuality kind of like goes out the window. And so I think there's also assessing for that. I don't believe everything has to be told. It's really do you want to share this? Do you want to be met in this? Do you want your partner to know? And again, if we go back to that half circle, the left and right, it's like, is that something you have to do before you die? Or is it just something that you're turned on thinking about, but you know, you're never, ever going to want to do in person. So maybe you have a fantasy about being gang banged at the bus stop. Most people are probably never going to actually do that specific fantasy just Mm. simply because it's illegal I would say, in general, like having sex in public and random people walking by, but you may fantasize a lot about that and it may be really sexy and really turn you on. And there's a way that you can actually create a story in the safety of your bedroom with a trusting and loving partner where you play that out. You could even have other people come in depending on the dynamics of your couple. So there's ways to navigate around things, even if you're not actually going to do stuff. Mm. Does that answer your question? Yeah, definitely.
0: <laughs> and okay. <laughs> what about, because you said that obviously our sexuality kind of changes over time. Yes. So then, what if you are in a long term relationship and then something comes up and you're kind of unsure of, like, it's completely different to anything you've kind of done before? How would you recommend bringing that up?
2: Yes, right. So one person starts to go on the journey of discovering sexuality. This happens a lot. The other person doesn't really know this is happening. <laughs> and suddenly they start to find out lots of things and they've been in a long-term relationship where they felt close and sexually connected. And again, I think it is about, you know, every, every person is so different. So people will do different things with this. But I think in general, it's about slowly giving information and giving your partner time to catch up. So we see this a lot in the Bay Area actually with non-monogamy. Suddenly one person's like been listening to all the non-monogamy podcasts. And non-monogamy is like you have a – normally you're in a couple, which is called a primary relationship, and then one person decides, I want to have sex with other people or have relationships with other people. And – so one person in that partnership will have been doing all of this research, like reading books and listening to podcasts and talking to different people and like reading all the Reddit forums. And the other person has no idea this is even happening. And then suddenly that person goes, I want to have non-monogamy. Let's have a non-monogamous relationship. Like let's be poly or let's do something. And the other, the other partner is like, Whoa, I have no idea what we're even talking about. Like how, <laughs> what, what, and that, the other person who's brought it mm. up has been spending you know, six months, three years, five years researching, thinking, and then they're suddenly like, can't hold it anymore. And they explode and they ask for this thing. So this could be really anything, right? Someone's been thinking for a long time about something they want to try and they've been withholding it or not sharing it with their partner. And I think sometimes that happens. And what we need to do as the person asking for that is to really hold space for our partner to get a grasp on the thing that we're asking and to give them space and time to integrate the new information. It can be a surprise and people do lots of different things with the feeling of being surprised. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They can get angry. They can get scared. They can acquiesce and say, okay, let's just do it. We're just going to do this non-monogamy thing because you're asking for it and I've got to give you what you want even though that's not really what they want or they have a lot of questions or they need to slow down so I think it really comes down to asking a lot of questions and nothing is urgent I think that's another really big piece here around communicating I think sometimes when we start to tell our partner stuff it's like okay I'm going to tell you this and now we got to do it or like now we got to make something happen and It's like, just take a deep breath. Nothing has to happen today. We're just starting the conversation. Again, remember, we're starting it outside of the bedroom. No one's clothes are off, most likely. So it's like, we're just, it's okay. We're just starting this conversation. And I would say if you get, you know, three, six months in and the conversation isn't going anywhere you don't think you're making movement or it's causing friction, that's where it's a really great idea to maybe reach out for some help get some professional help to navigate what's going on. But most people don't hear new information that's been withheld from them. (laughs) Well, the first time they're like, whoa, why didn't you tell me? This is confusing. I feel caught off guard. Mm. Another one I'll hear a lot is like in the beginning of the relationship, because there was so much new relationship energy and so much anticipation, oral sex becomes a big one. Like one person's like, Suddenly, a couple years in, they're like, I hate the way my partner goes down on me. I hate it. Like, I don't like it. But then they just don't say anything. So they don't want to hurt their partner's feelings. And they hadn't said anything before. And now suddenly, when that person doesn't want to do it anymore. And it becomes this whole thing. And this can go on for like years and years and years. And so how do we break the news of information to someone that actually what we've been doing isn't right for me and I don't like it and I haven't liked it? Mm. And that level of truth and transparency and honesty can be very difficult at first. So we wanna always deliver information in a loving and kind way while being honest and straightforward. Because we get in a tricky situation where we start to be honest, but then we pull back because we get scared we're gonna hurt our partner's feelings. And it may hurt their feelings, that's true. And you probably didn't mean to hurt their feelings. That's also probably true. And that's okay that their feelings are hurt. But the process is how do we begin to move forward from there, even if their feelings are hurt?
1: Yeah. So what would you say, like, how? what is actually, like, a kind way of, like, sort of breaking those kinds of... Animals? The ice on that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Normally the way it looks is something like... Um, Hey, there's something I want to talk to you about in our personal sexual life. Let me know when is a good time. Some people will go, like, right now is a good time. And other people will be like, okay, I'll let you know. And then they'll bring it up later. And I think a really, I think if you're aware that your partner may get hurt, I think a great way to start that conversation is to say, like, hey, I'm going to tell you something. My intention is not to hurt you. I really, I know that this might. And I really don't want to. So if I say something in a hurtful way, please know that it's not my intention. Maybe, you know, it could be, I'm really nervous or I feel afraid to talk about this or it's just uncomfortable for me. So you give them a little bit of, um, you give yourself a little bit of space to say like, I don't have to get this perfect because no one gets any communication perfect. And the expectation that it's going to be perfect will keep you from having these types of conversations. So it's saying something like a a preface of what your intention is, and then it would be something like, um, you know, I've not been really wanting you to go down on me lately, and I wanna tell you that I haven't really enjoyed it for the last couple of years, and I'm sorry that I haven't told you, but I was scared to hurt your feelings, and now I want us to change this so that we can engage in that sex act with each other in a pleasurable way Mm. and then it really depends where the partner goes from there but it's not about a fight you're on the same team it's about advocating for your pleasure and if you hold the space of your sex is always changing your pleasure is always changing the things you are always changing then you're constantly in communication with your Mm. partner about that it's when we hold this idea of like i like this particular type of lick and touch and feel and squeeze that we get it gets more complicated because there isn't the room to keep having conversation around them.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and like you don't always, even if like, let's say you're really aware about what you like, like it's not that every time you have sex you're going to want the same thing. Like you're not always in the same mood or whatever. So Uh do you have any advice for like day-to-day always communication during sex? Like not the like, okay, let's sit down when we're both close kind of conversation. Mm -hmm. More Mm -hmm. like, Right. like communication and, and cues to like show someone yes. like what to do and like what you like and like specifically if you're like really shy and embarrassed about that you like you don't want to like <laughs> say like
2: right there's two places here there's the nonverbal communication and the verbal communication mm-hmm. so the non-verbal communication is about breath noise like moans and body movement and I would say to someone who that sounds like a totally new territory. Start with breath. When your partner is touching you, if there's something that they like, take deeper, more full breaths, really big. When pleasure comes, take a big breath. Your partner will notice it. Mm-hmm. People are very tuned into each other in these moments. Once that starts to feel comfortable, try making a little bit of noise. Right. So that's the <sighs> any exhale noise is really helpful. Ah. Mm, uh, because it's so new for people sometimes who are not making any noise specifically men men typically stay very very quiet during sex it can be hard um, to get yeah it's wild i think they're traumatized from porn actually porn actors make noises that don't feel connected so that's my but you know starting to try to make some noise just getting it out and it will feel really awkward at first i think that's what's true about learning new things in the body You'll be, it will feel so weird and uncomfortable, but I promise over time, if you keep connecting it with pleasure, when something feels good, I make a noise, it will start to feel more normal. Then the last one is movement. So, as something comes across your body, something feels good, you let other parts, or maybe even that part, move, you breathe you make a noise, right? That really starts that non-verbal communication to your partner of like, I'm in this, this feels good. I'm enjoying what we're experiencing. And that one is slightly easier in all honesty than the verbal one. (laughs) The verbal space of using language during sex is really, really hard for many, many people. I'd say like 85, 90% of people really struggle to get words out of their mouth during sex Mm especially words that are used, you know, in the bedroom, which I, I, ta- I call them like your undressed words. So you undress your body and we want to also undress your words. So it's like, what are we saying to our partner? You know, we're not going to be talking the same way in the same tone with the same, obviously the same words in office space. We would really, we want to sh- really shift the way we start to communicate that. I would say the first step is just getting comfortable with those words. So if you're not comfortable playing with your partner with those words, that would be a great place to start. You can try with a friend or even just try in front of the mirror, saying naughty, dirty, playful, sexy, Parts of the body, boobs. Am I allowed to say that? Are we yeah, okay? yeah. You, you can I? say whatever you want. Pussy, <laughs> cock, asshole. Like, try. Just like, <laughs> you know, fuck. Like, standing in front of the mirror and just practicing saying these words because we don't say them very often. Mm. Like, we're just not walking around saying that very often. We have to practice using that, and then eventually moving into sexy sentences. Starting small and then moving up, getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So that could be in front of the mirror. That could be with friends, that could be with your lover. Then the piece of how do we communicate when we want something? And I normally talk about it in general. This is a business term, I believe the sandwiching, which is if we're wanting to make a correction on our partner, Mm. we try to find something that we enjoyed in the last couple of minutes. I really like the way you nippled my neck when you bite down it startles me and I don't really enjoy it that much. I wonder if we can go back to the nibbles. So something we enjoyed giving the correction and then a direction to Mm. go. Okay. So, so I really love when you were teasing me with your tongue, but when you stick your tongue down my throat, it just doesn't turn me on. I wonder if we can go back to the teasing. Mm. I think that's a really, really good way to redirect and, to often lower your tone, take a deep breath before you deliver it and really emphasize because people can be so caught up in what they're doing and feeling like, oh, I'm, I'm this great lover or I'm trying to give you this thing. and. I'm showing you my desire for you. So the course correction can sometimes feel difficult for people like, Oh, I'm doing it wrong. And that's why we really want to emphasize. You have to really be connected to the thing that you liked before. Okay. Right. It was really sexy when you did this, Mm. what we're doing here. Isn't quite right. Whatever that is. Can we go back to this or can we try this? Does that feel helpful?
0: Mm. Yeah, that's really helpful. And just to kind of like sum up the episode, could we just kind of, do a little timeline of like if there's some people who feel like they're a complete beginner so like for for a relationship you said from the beginning kind of make sure you can tell that the other person can give you what you need and it's all about building it up day by day but what would be like a really easy like low stakes kind of first conversation to have could you give an example of what that might look like
2: I think in a new couple, a good first conversation to have is, is actually just to be curious about that person's sexual experiences Mm. and not necessarily like who have they had sex with before, although that is also very interesting and helpful. What was pleasurable for them uh, or what have their experiences been like, but also like what were their experiences in childhood? I think starting in a new relationship to open up the conversation about sex and who we are sexually can lend itself to a lot of ease as we move forward, mm. right? Like, oh, I grew up in a household where um, my mom always walked around naked and she had her lovers around all the time and it was really uncomfortable for me. and. I always felt like sex needed to be behind closed doors, and it needed to have this and that. Someone over rigidified out of being in a, a really relaxed environment where there was no safety. So it tells you a lot about potential places that people may be triggered or over boundaried, given what their childhood was like. And it also just opens up that level of vulnerability and intimacy, which I think is really, really important in the long term space of being able to be sexually connected and communicative.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's important to sort of like set that precedent of talking, of having these conversations, and like building on that. And as you said before, like setting up sort of like a place where it's comfortable to sort of have those conversations, and it's not so like difficult every time. You know, if you just set right. that precedent from the start. But yeah, thank you so much for all your advice and your tips and your examples. <laughs> like they've been really, really helpful yeah I really appreciate
0: so it. yeah, thank you so much. I feel like we're generation Z, unfortunately, but um <laughs> I mean not unfortunately, but sometimes <laughs> and I feel like we're quite well versed as a generation in terms of like talking about sex like we're a lot more open than other generations in some ways, but also I sometimes the conversations that we have aren't necessarily that constructive like I find that even with us we talk about sex obviously a lot on the podcast Mm -hmm. and like just amongst friends you have these conversations of like oh but like what happened and you know you want to get the full debrief (laughs) (laughs) but it's actually like finding a constructive way to have those conversations and make Yourself and the other person feel comfortable actually in the moment, and right. yeah, just in general in the relationship. Yeah. So, yeah, so we're getting helpful.
1: better at talking about sex, but not with the person we should be talking about. Sex yeah, then. exactly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much.
2: Well, I will say, too, one of the things also, it's like we're talking mostly about communicating when things are not going right. But I think another place where people really underemphasize is communicating in the moment when it feels really good. Mm-hmm. So that's where we were talking a little bit with the nonverbal and the breath, but you know, the verbal communication piece is a huge one. So it's hard to reach in this short period of time. But I'll, I think another tidbit I want to throw in here is like, if you're engaging in an experience and it feels really good, try to find the words to say, I really like that, that feels great. Mm. Because your partner will be like, yay, <laughs> yeah. I got it right, or I'm, we're doing it and you're enjoying this. So that's really helpful too. Right,
0: yeah, everyone wants to feel kind of like they're doing a good job. That's all we're really <laughs> here for. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Okay, well, thank you again. That's This has been really helpful and yeah, do you want to kind of plug where people can find you?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yes, so you can find me, most most of my stuff is going to be on my website, which is my first and last name, keelyrankin.com, K-E-E-L-E-Y-R-A-N-K-I-N. And there's all sorts of different things on there. I've got online courses and lots of blog posts, fun stuff. And then if you want to follow me on social media, it's also just my name, Keeley Rankin Sex Coach. So I'd love to have you come over there and see me. Great. Cool.
0: Yeah, I'm sure people will come and check you out. And again, thank you so much for giving us your time. All
2: right. Thank you
0: okay thank you so much to keely for joining us for this episode we hope you guys enjoyed and found it useful i definitely found it very useful Mm. and yeah please go check her out on her website and everything she mentioned and as always you know where you can find us facebook instagram tiktok at sextras podcast our website sextraspodcast.com and you can join our patreon we'll link it in the description Mm mm-hmm and definitely
1: co- come join the family
0: yeah and if you want to get in contact with us you can also email us at sextraspodcast at gmail.com yeah and hope you guys are
1: enjoying the pleasure and desire miniseries and definitely keep an eye out for the episodes that are coming next
0: yeah we'll see you very very soon bye, bye.
1: you've been listening to sextras Presented by Honey Jane Wyatt and Maria Jose Hyodati. Produced by Mabel Productions.